From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Avis from Siva Enterprises. Avis, it's really nice to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited for today's discussion. So, Avis, can you tell me a bit about yourself as well as your company and what you guys do? Sure. My name is Avis Bulbulian. I'm the CEO of Siva Enterprises. I founded this company in 2013. We're a full-service consulting company that focuses on the cannabis industry. We handle groups anywhere from state licensing, idea and concept, all the way through to operations and exit. Awesome. So how do you get into this space? It's a, it's an interesting niche space. And what's your story of getting into this space? So a lot of it was a combination of a few different things. One, around the 2005, six years, I had a medical condition. I went to the doctor. They were prescribing me the synthetic version of THC. And around mm-hmm. that time, there was a lot of hype starting in LA about the cannabis industry and how it's turning into an industry. One thing led to another, and I started off on the cultivation side to really understand it from the ground up. And then cultivation led to manufacturing, that led to retail operations. And then along the way, I was at the right place at the right time. I found myself in the state licensing process in Massachusetts. So that ended up being hugely successful. Uh, we were the highest scoring group in the state. We were the only group that got the maximum three out of three licenses. So I took that opportunity to springboard into the world of consulting and consulting specifically for state licensing. After Massachusetts, went through all the different states, Nevada, Illinois, New York, Hawaii, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and we just did state licensing and we're one of the more successful companies doing it. Um, When it came back to California in around 2016, I was asked to be the president of Daily Cannabis Task Force to work with the stakeholders in LA to develop the city's regulations or advise on it. And also at the time when the state was putting together their state committee, I was appointed by the, I was appointed to the state advisory committee that advises the three state agencies on the development of California's regulations. Operations led to uh, licensing, which led to consulting, which led to a lot of compliance work. And along the way, you meet a lot of different people, whether it's investors that are looking to invest in companies and you're doing due diligence for them, operators that are looking for investment capital and you happen to have access to the investors. So it leads you into the whole world of business and finance and operations and compliance and licensing and politics and policy and all of the above. Yeah, totally. Sounds exciting. So who do your customers tend to be then? Are they like upstart companies that need to get licensed and all that stuff? Or is it like established company licensing work? Like what does that all look like? So nowadays it's all of the above. Initially on the operational side, and this was before we were formerly a consulting company. It was just helping people with operational efficiencies, dialing in their operations. When that led to state licensing work, for a good period of time, about five, six years, 90% of our work was state licensing because you can't really do anything else until you get these companies licensed. So the majority of the calls were for state licensing and navigating that process. And for state licensing, it forces you to kind of deconstruct the entire company and rebuild it from the ground up, focusing on their financing, their operations, their SOPs, their team. So that created the network. Once they got licensed, then it was really about implementation work. Whether we got their license or somebody else got them, you have a license, now you need to get started. So a lot of the work was implementing the projects. After implementation, you give them wings and they go off on their own. But afterwards, they come back and they all have different issues. One company might need branding help, marketing help. One company is looking to expand into a different market. 
one company is looking to consolidate other companies. A lot of companies are just looking to dial it in and fine tune their operations. So these days it's really more full service. Absolutely. And what is what was the strategy to grow the company? Did you just follow regulations in different states and look at who might be growing or where the areas of growth are? Like how did you acquire new customers and go about all that? So because it was a newer industry, there wasn't a lot of precedent. So one of the things you want to do is you draw from parallel industries, other industries, and with the regulations, you're dealing with an industry that's still federally legal. It's compliant at the state level. So you have to understand the nuances of policy, but the regulations are like your guidelines on everything that you need to understand about your company and how to run your company. As far as growing my business, the way I had to do it, especially on the consulting side was you need to demonstrate that you've got the expertise and the knowledge to be able to do it. And that can be writing blog posts, writing articles on the different topics. For me, one of the best clients I had, one of the first clients I had came to me from me commenting on a news article. And by commenting on that news article, I took a different position than the article. I explained my position. I explained it in a very thorough way. And this client happened to be reading it. So when they saw it, it's okay, that makes a lot of sense. Let me reach out to this guy. And I used that as like my blueprint of establishing myself as an authority in the industry, as being able to put myself out there. I would comment on articles. I would write articles, op-eds, just, just all of the above. And you got to put yourself out there. When I would get calls, a lot of people were using it as an opportunity to charge every time they would open your mouth, open their mouth. And in consulting, you're really being paid for your time and advice. One thing I learned was I didn't need to charge them that initial consultation fee for an hour. I can get on the phone. I can give them all the information that they need without any sales pitches. Just give them the information that they need. And what I quickly started realizing is having knowing what you need to do and having the confidence to do it are two very different things. For me to tell them and show them exactly what they need to do was one thing for them to have the confidence to do it on their own without my help was something completely different. And 90% of the time, they still ended up retaining me. For those that didn't hire me, they went out and they did it on their own. They were still thankful for me because I provided them at least with some rough guidelines and how to go about it. And that just builds your reputation uh, after a while. Absolutely. Any lessons learned in that whole process of creating content, talking to people, becoming a thought leader, any things that worked particularly well or things that you're like, hey, I wasted a bunch of time on this or that and didn't really get me anywhere. You're always going to have the wasted time. I would never look at it as wasted. Um, one of the things is, especially this is true for when you're up there speaking at different conferences and events, and especially in the niche industry, it's a very small community. So one of the things I noticed was a lot of people getting up there speaking for every one piece of content that they would put out, they would also put out three pieces of advertising for themselves. And for the people that are paying really good money to come and sit in the audience and stuff like that, they don't really want you to pitch them. They don't want advertising and marketing coming from you. They want that information. Give them the information and establish your credibility. That's the best marketing that you can ever hope for or pay for or be given the opportunity to present. I love that. Yes, I think so many people want to just talk about themselves and what they do and what they're selling. But I, I think you have a great point. If you can be a trusted resource, providing information that boosts your credibility a lot more yeah you never know who's in the audience i've had talks where i was giving a talk and the state regulator in the state that was about to do licensing she came up to me afterwards and started asking me questions about what kind of regulations how to administer the process then you got times where it's like when i'm up there talking for an hour i probably don't even mention my company name 
it's already in the agenda. It's already on the slide up there. That just wasted opportunity for me to demonstrate that I have the credibility, I have the expertise, and I know what I'm doing. And it's yeah, I like that. Tomorrow. That's awesome. What's been your strategy when it comes to content? Sounds like you do speaking events and talks. I think obviously you're on this podcast and other podcasts, uh, LinkedIn. Is there any anything I'm not mentioning here? And what's been the best results? Where have you gotten the most fruitfulness from? Being available and not just targeting any one person, any one company. It's just really putting yourself out there in a broad way. And what I mean by that is you don't want to focus, for instance, a lot of my clients, they're the higher network um, individuals. They're a lot more well off. So I'm not just targeting them. I'm presenting myself in an authentic way, whether it's somebody that I know or don't know. I'll give you an example. If I'm at a conference and you have a lot of young people trying to get into the space. So when I'm at a conference, somebody's coming up and talking to me, I'll spend the time to talk to that person. Whether or not they're going to turn into a client, it's just you putting yourself out there to be able to help people. And you never know when it's going to turn into a client. I had this one situation for about a year and a half at six different conferences. I had this one person come up to me and he would always just ask me question after question. And every time I spend a lot of time with them. And every time after the second, third time, I'm like, okay, he's probably not going to end up being a client. But every time he would show up, I would still give him that time. A year and a half later, when the time came and he put together his team, I'm the first person he called and I ended up being hired to take on this project and took him on throughout his project. And we're still good friends to this day. So the thing is, you never know who a potential client is and who's not. The guy that's wasting your time might end up being one of your best clients. The person that you think is going to be your client probably ends up being the waste of your time. So Absolutely. don't try to judge that. Just put yourself out there. Yeah, I've experienced that too, where you, you think this deal is for sure and it's a go and they're your best prospect and then that one doesn't go anywhere and then someone you didn't even expect to turn yeah. into a deal turns into your greatest customer. So yep. that's a great. Yeah. I don't know why it works like that, but I've experienced the same thing. The ones that are more authentic are usually more genuine and humble about it. The ones that are going to waste wasting your time they actually spend more time trying to qualify themselves to you to get some of your time. And mm. that's kind of been like, it just goes off. If you really are in a position to hire me, you're not going to try to sell yourself. You're actually going to try to get me to sell myself. So yeah, it's, it's all relationship building services, industries, are still relationships. That's a great point. I, I think for me, the people that are immediately excited and, Oh, I want to work with you and all this stuff or whatever. And there's a lot of promises made. It's almost like those, deals, at least for us, don't always turn out into a deal as often as the person that's a bit skeptical and has some questions and wants to really dig into what you do and all that stuff. It's funny how it works. Yeah, because look, they have to be skeptical because they're going to go out of pocket for it and they're going to pay good money for it. So it's, if I'm going to write that check, I really need to be sure I'm writing it to the right person. Yeah, absolutely. What's one of the bigger challenges you've faced in growing this company and how do you overcome it? So one of the bigger challenges was more personal, more of a imposter syndrome type of thing. Mm -hmm. When you found you're the founder of a company, you're the CEO of a company and it grows as fast as it grows. You're always questioning yourself. Well, what am I doing here? Is this real? Is it not real? So it's always that doubt. The way I've overcome it is I always ask myself that there's a reason I'm still here. There's a reason I'm still successful. There's a reason why clients are still calling me and there, there's a reason why I am dealing with the people that I'm dealing with. 
So as much as I might feel like an imposter at the time, the proof is in the pudding, the proof is in my network, it's in my customers, it's in my successes. So at some point, you need to make that mental switch and give yourself credit for being where you're at. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like for, for myself, at least, when you're pushing yourself to being a bit uncomfortable and outside your comfort zone, that's when you start to get that feeling, but it's also when you achieve the most growth. So I love that. What is one thing you wish you would have known before you became a CEO that you know now? The world needs leaders. The world needs followers. Not everybody wants to be a leader. Not everybody wants to be a follower. In my situation, because of the industry, the fact that it was a new industry, it was an evolving industry, and you see the opportunities, you want to bring in a lot of your friends and a lot of the people to participate with you and go along with the ride uh, with you. One of the things I realized is everybody's got different priorities. Um, some people, they want to spend 80, 90, 100 hours a week in the office working. Some people don't. Some people just want a nine to five. They want to be able to go home and spend time with their family. There's nothing wrong with either one of them. It's being able to recognize what the priorities are, what's driving your employee, what's driving the people around you, and for you to be able to deliver that to them without really forcing them into one slot or another. I've had people that came to me as a nine to fiver, but they just wanted to go all in, and I put them all in. I've had people that thought they wanted to go all in, but once you start pushing them, it's no, I, I do need my time for family, I do need my time for this, I do need my rest time. And again, there's nothing right or wrong with either one of them. It's just recognizing what drives your employees and being able to offer that and deliver that for them. The more you can serve them, the more they're gonna be able to serve you and what you're looking to do. Absolutely, I think that's a great piece of advice. I think for myself, I'm like the 100 hour a week, work as hard as possible. And I definitely, if if I, like everyone on our team was like, all right, you gotta do the same, that wouldn't fly. But being younger, it's easy to think that like everybody's like on board like you are as a founder and all that. And, easy to fall into that trap. Yeah, sometimes you even question yourself. It's like, why wouldn't you want to do this? It's not everybody's crazy enough to want to spend 100 hours a week in the office. And I've gotten <laughs> months and up to like close to a year spending 100, 110 hours a week in the office. And I have a wife and a kid. So again, it's what drives, what motivates. You got to find that motivator. As a Absolutely. Student. So if you could go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice, what would that be? When you're growing a company, starting a company, growing it and hoping to take it to that next level, you just have a different switch that switches. If you happen to have family, you're going to be making a lot of sacrifices. A lot of times you like to think that you're the one making the sacrifice. But when you have kids, you're taking it upon yourself to make that sacrifice on their behalf. So it's not your sacrifice. It's their sacrifice, which you made that decision. Now. It's very difficult when you talk about work-life balance, there really is no work-life balance. When it comes time to work, you gotta focus on that work. When it comes to family, you gotta be able to focus on that family time. And I think that's the work-life balance that you would, for me, that's the work-life balance that works. Now that might mean certain weeks I'm working hundred hours on work and the rest is on family. And it might mean sometimes where I'm a hundred something hours a week on family and I barely spend five hours on my work. But to be able to deliver and be there, be present for your work when it's work time and for your family when it's family time. I think that's one of the things I needed to know, I should have known when I was starting. It's like when you're at work, you're guilty that you're not with family. When you're with family, you feel guilty that you're not with work. And that's what ends up eating up at you a lot. When you can dedicate yourself, not necessarily equally, but where you are, dedicate yourself to that. I think you're going to have a lot more peace of mind. And 
even your family's going to understand it and they're going to accept it because look, he's in work mode. When he's a family mode, he's full on family. And but just the main thing is realize that when you are the founder, you are the CEO, you are building your company, the sacrifices you're making, they're not necessarily just your sacrifices. You're making sacrifices on behalf of other people, even friends, and they don't really have a choice in that. You're making that decision and you need to be able to live with it. Absolutely. I think that's a great point to highlight. So you're saying if you got to work hundred hours a week, work hundred hours a week, but when you're going to like carve out some time to spend with your family, just focus on your family. Don't be like on a conference call when you're out at the beach or whatever. Exactly. You're diluting your family time with family on the opposite. You're diluting your work time with your work. So I yeah. have three kids. They're 12, six and three back then. It was a six, seven year old and a one year old. They didn't have a choice in whether or not their dad was home or not. The best thing I could do for them is when I am there. Yeah, I like that. Has there ever been a time where you had to pivot strategy? And if so, like, how did that go? Oh, every day, every month, every year, especially in this industry, the cannabis industry, a month feels like a year feels like a decade. It's ever evolving. So when I started on operations and I moved on to licensing, licensing after a while, once the states go through that process and people get their licenses, that business is going to slowly die off. So what do you do? You pivot to implementation, then you pivot to operations. That means whether it's your strategy, whether it's your hiring, whether it's your advertising, whether it's the content that you're putting out to promote yourself. If, if you're putting out content on licensing, now you need to be able to demonstrate that you understand operations. So now you need to incorporate that into it. Uh, more recently, over the past year or so, the industry's kind of gone slightly belly up, federal reform has stalled and a lot of things have happened. So now a lot of the opportunities and distressed assets and turnaround work, and we happen to be really great at that. So now our next pivot is we restructured the company where besides doing the licensing and the consulting work that we're doing, now we're also going to be full, hyper-focused on turnaround work because there are a lot of companies that are failing that don't have bankruptcy protections. They, their only option is really turnarounds. So either turning them around or the investors that are looking to pick up distressed assets and then flip them or turn them around. So in any business, but particularly this industry, you have to be on your feet. You have to be able to see where things are going and you have to be able to plant the seeds two, three years in advance. So when the time comes for that, you, you have some work. Absolutely. Love that. Any last words of wisdom, advice you have uh, before we run today? In general, know what you're getting yourself into. Being a founder, being a CEO, it really isn't easy. You're going to have a lot of hard days. You're going to have a lot of days where you question yourself, you question your sanity. It's going to come with a hell of a lot of sacrifices, uh, whether it's family, whether it's friends, you're going to lose friends. You just, you have to get into a different mindset and you have to make that switch. Some of it comes with career choices. Some of it comes with age. Life is not one continuous street. Life is just made up in chapters, right? You got your teenage years, you got your... 20s you got your 30s now I'm, I'm in my 40s and it's those chapters and that evolution you go through personally professionally and the main thing is you got to be able to have fun with it if you're not having fun with it you're better off just calling it quits and going and getting a job absolutely i think i've told people the first few years at least of entrepreneurship is work three times as hard get paid one third as much and you're successful, you have more freedom at the end of the day, five years later, but you got to get through those initial years. Yeah, but that freedom also comes at a cost. And the question is, what is the price you're willing to pay for that freedom and that success? You look at any of the successful people from the Elon Musk's, the thing, 
People want to focus on the results. People want to focus on the lifestyle that they're living now, but nobody wants to see the sacrifices that went into getting to that point. And a lot of people in cannabis, especially. So with cannabis, you had a lot because it was a grassroots industry and it was a brand new industry. It was really just developing out. You had a lot of people that wanted to be an entrepreneur, that wanted to be that CEO, that founder and that executive and all the above. It didn't take long for them to realize that's not they it's not what they thought they wanted for themselves. Some people after experiencing that, you know what? I'd rather have a nine to five. I'd rather be a salaried employee. At least I know I'm getting paid on the first. I'm getting paid on the 15th. I need to have that certainty. I have my health insurance. I have my vacation time. I'm happy and I'm satisfied with that certainty. Then you got some people where it's like, I can't deal with that. I can't clock out of five because I'm just fidgety and edging. I got to do something. I'd rather put in that work, but I want that success long-term and that freedom long-term. And look, sometimes that freedom it doesn't mean that you're going to make more money than the person that's working a salary job, but it's that freedom to be able to succeed or fail on your own terms. And for some people, that's the satisfaction that they're looking for. Absolutely. It's very true. It's been amazing to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining today and sharing all your wisdom insights. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely.